Welcome to episode 61 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conan. This week, we were planning on sitting down and finally doing our unicorn hunting episode for David and other people and ourselves. But we had a really good conversation, actually, on the Google chat this week, where we asked about what people think counts as unicorn hunting. And there was a lot of really good answers. And some people were like, unicorn hunting is basically just couples privilege. And some people were like, no, it has to have a one penis policy. And some people were like, it has to be closed. And so we realized that we wanted to talk about unicorn hunting. But the way that I want to talk about unicorn hunting requires us to be able to say it has this certain list of features. The reason that I'm going to say that, and I'll say it again, but I'll just say it in short now, is that I do see the term being used as a basically catch-all, you're doing polyamory wrong insult. So it's basically become a gatekeeping term sometimes. You all know how I feel about gatekeeping. There's a whole episode on that, if you don't. <laughs> so it becomes a thing that people use to invalidate forms of poly that they don't like that are just peripherally similar to unicorn hunting, rather than having a discussion about them. I find that people use the word unicorn hunting to attack anything in polyamory that's unethical. Right. So I'm really glad that we're defining it so we can then help others use it correctly. Yeah, and that is my concern, partly because I think unicorn hunting is a very specific and very problematic element in polyamory. And I think that when the definition is open and vague, it's difficult to convince people they are unicorn hunting because they come, people tell them they're unicorn hunting, they try to explain why, they post the links, the people read them and they come back and go, I'm not a unicorn hunter Mm -hmm. because I don't do or I don't feel or because I treat my partner well. And again, this isn't going to be that episode. So we're gonna come back to that. But basically, the claim that I'm going to end up making is for it to be unicorn hunting, it has to include a one penis policy, it has to be some type of closed relationship. And, and originally, I was going to say and couples privilege. But this is actually the couples privilege episode. And as you're going to find out, we're going to claim that if there's a couple, there's couple privilege. So anytime you are adding a person to an existing twosome or moresome, there's couples privilege already. But I guess we can still say couples privilege because we we are not against organically formed triads. Right. So if there were three people not in a relationship that organically formed somehow or came to it even if they were in a relationship with an organic way that sort of worked around the couple's privilege or something like that in a major way, then... Yeah, that would be fine, yeah. So yeah, we're going to claim that it has the three requirements of couple's privilege, one penis policy, and being some form of a closed relationship. And with the one penis policy, we really mean any genitalia guidelines. So if there's rules in the relationship that tell you what genitals you can and cannot have, whether that's one penis or one vagina policy or or anything in between, I don't care what it is, as long as people are writing out what types of genitals are allowed to be in the relationship or what type of gender identity can be in the relationship, that's that's our third thing. But generally, people for short just call that the one penis policy because that's 99% of those policies mm-hmm. and it just saves us a lot of time and effort. So we realized that if we did do that and we didn't do the underlying episodes first because somehow we still haven't done a couple's privilege episode, which seems insane, <laughs> and somehow... We still haven't done an episode on closed relationships, which also seems pretty crazy. Then we would be spending the entire episode actually discussing the premises instead of the topic. So sorry, 
it's going to push the unicorn hunting episode back a few paces, but we already did one penis policy, thankfully, so we're one third there already. We got through couples privilege today, and we're going to get through close relationships sometime in the near future. So then you'll have a base. So when we do the unicorn hunting episode, you'll have those bases. You'll be able to understand more what it is actually we're encompassing in all of that, and you'll be able to understand a little better. Well, and also just for people who are listening and going, I don't think the close relationships are intrinsically unethical. We're definitely not going to claim that. So the one penis policy policy is the only one of the episodes that says it's automatically unethical. Couples privilege isn't automatically unethical. In fact, it's unavoidable. And closed relationships are also not automatically unethical, as you should know, because we say that not all monogamy has to be unethical. And those are definitionally closed relationships. But all three together. Yeah, if you throw all three of those together, though, (laughs) then you have something that's particularly problematic. I don't know why it's an ambulance. That was completely an ambulance sounding. Uh, You're sending an ambulance for the poor unicorn who's getting hunted. There you go. (laughs) They've been shot. Let's help them. There you go. Okay, so today we're talking about couples privilege, because I think this is something that people really do not understand. One of the most common things I hear if I say that someone has couples privilege is, no, we don't. No, I don't. No, 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 we don't. We treat all the people we date fantastically. All right, that number of we's right there, that's couples privilege all over the place. (laughs) Too many wee-wees. I'm not saying that just changing your language will change anything, but the bottom line is if you are in a relationship, you have couples privilege. And like all privileges, there can be like a balancing effect as well. So if you're in, say, a V, you have couples privilege from both of those relationships. And if you're the hinge on that V, you sort of have doubles couple privilege potentially. And as humans are social beings, therefore other humans' opinions of us feelings about us matter. There's going to be negotiations. And when those negotiations happen, couples are more likely to be on the same page. I'm not saying band together unethically. You're just more likely to be on the same page. You've had a lot of these discussions already. You have more similar life experiences. You have more shared space. And so you're more likely to come off on the same page. It's like having an argument with someone and their best friend. It's just really difficult to convince both of them that any one of them is ever wrong about anything. Yeah. And so it ends up giving you an unfair amount of social control. Is that how you think about couples' privilege as a baseline? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just think that when it's your partner, your automatic action is to defend your partner. So whatever your partner, not whatever your partner says, but you're, you're going to agree with your partner and you're going to kind of be on the same page. Within reason. So not if it's super problematic, but... Right. But yeah, you're going you're gonna to be on the same page with them, uh, you know... For the most part. If you were explaining couples privilege to someone, what would you tell them that that means that they have couples privilege? Couples privilege is any couple. It does like it doesn't you don't have to have been married. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be dating for forever. You don't like it's any couple I think has couples privilege to some extent. Of course, some couples are going to have more because then there's there's more of that equity in the relationship. Mm. When you build up that equity in a relationship, you have more couples privilege to flex sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the problem is flexing the couple's privilege. It's not having the couple's privilege. But it's the equity, I think, that's built up that gives you the couple's privilege. So if I were to date someone and I've only been dating them for a few weeks... Jerry and I are going to have couples privilege and we're going to have like there's there's going to be things that that new person doesn't have with me that Jerry has and that history and that that compatibleness and 
<laughs> it's, it's really hard to explain, I guess. I think it's helpful to have your definition to work with because I think that what are, what's the sort of the common use definition of a term? Mm-hmm. I think that's right. But I think there's also a couple of other parts to couples privilege that are going on that people don't understand as well. So first, I'm going to back up and just do like a really quick. We've talked about privilege a few times. And just as a reminder, people often get upset at the word privilege, but privilege just means that the situation automatically favors people with privilege. So when I say that... Yeah, privilege is not a negative word. It's not an attack on you. It doesn't undermine your perspective. If an action happens in the relationship and you and your partner thinks it's immoral and the new person doesn't, I'm not trying to undermine the fact that you think it's immoral and that you have a moral compass that says that's the case. That's fine. I'm just saying that when it comes to sitting down at the table and trying to hash out if it is or isn't, the fact that there's automatically somebody on your side is going to make that discussion less authentic and more lopsided and less that sort of Mm -hmm. forefronted in the discussion. Like, I recognize that my partner and I have been on the same page for so long that we're probably both going to feel the same thing about this. We really want to hear why you think this makes sense, why you are okay with this. If you're having a three-person discussion or if you're having a single-person discussion, not constantly being like, well, but my partner agrees that what you did is terrible. Right. Not throwing that at the other person, but just approaching it as a me and you and let's have this discussion. Or how about don't discuss it with one partner before you discuss, like, come down to the table right then. Don't say, hey, so partner B, I'm thinking that partner A is not doing something right. What do you think about this? And then go into the other partner about it. I think it depends on your... Well, on your relationship with your partner, firstly, and partners, and also on your agreements with each other. So for sure, if you have privacy agreements that would preclude that from happening, unless you're breaking an agreement, don't do that. I often bounce my thoughts off of, and I might choose not to use my partner just because they are invested in the scenario, but at least a couple of people, if I have a hostile thought or a negative thought, like I think what you did was really wrong, I don't usually just immediately tell you unless I'm in the space with you when it's happening, which is different. I usually talk it out with a couple people and go, well, am I overreacting? Am I, am I, am I prudish? Am I right. treating this inappropriately? But I don't think that I ever come to a discussion with one partner saying, hey, I talked to another partner about this and they agree with me. This is what I think. Yeah. Well, and I think that can happen organically too, though. If you're just with your partner when you learn about something, like you see on Facebook, a post together or something yeah. you're like scrolling Facebook together in bed. I just really, I try hard not to go to the other partner if I have a problem with one partner. I just, I do try to go to like an outside. I try to go to you usually. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> But, um, you know, I try to I try to go outside of any of my relationships because of couples privilege, because I know that one partner is going to defend me, even if we're not speaking to the other partner, they're going to defend me anyway, in my conversation, right, which is going to build up your sense that you're right as well before you go you already feel justified that you are correct right not only that well then it ge- and it gives my other partners a negative feeling about right it poisons the well like did you hear this girl do this terrible thing and your partner's going right. oh well 
I don't know how I feel about yeah, them anymore. Well, that's kind of sketchy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That I don't, yeah. So I try not to go to my other partners. And we've discussed that before. Basically, that's the best practice unless your relationship has a reason that that's not the best practice. But right. unless you have a really long, constructed, thought out, investigated, and agreed upon reasons that you think that it makes sense in your case, that the default should be try to avoid having that discussion. But there are some discussions that you can't really avoid it because the problem is layered, like... Or like having one partner move in with you and another partner. That's going to have to be a discussion for everyone. And, you know, and and probably going to have to be a discussion between the two people before, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I guess there is there's times when it's a have to situation. Yeah, but I was thinking of ones like... So we use partner one as your couple's privilege partner and partner two as a lesser couple's privilege partner. Look at you giving them hierarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in this case... Partner one. A and B... X and Y. It doesn't matter. So, you know, you're out with partner two and they want to go to one of the special spots that you and partner one go to. And you're one of those couples that has like the, this is just our thing. Right. For certain places. We've talked about that. That's a different question. But we're talking about people who are having issues running into couples privilege and how it manifests. And one of the ways is maybe you and your partner said, oh, well, our favorite takeout restaurant is X. Right. So like my favorite takeout restaurant in Charlotte is Taipei Express. So like Taipei Express was like really special to me for a long time. So let's say that me and my partner, this never happened with any of my partners, but one of my partners and I, let's say we discovered Taipei Express together. And so it's our special place. And partner two either says, hey, you want to go to Taipei Express? Just out of the blue. I didn't even suggest it. They also know that it's awesome. Or I kind of want to take them there. Because it's amazing food. And you want to share that with another partner too. Yeah. Right. I want to share this with a person that I care about. Let's use the first scenario because it's more applicable here. So partner two out okay. of the blue says, let's go to Taipei Express. Because if, if I had the, the second scenario where I wanted to do that, I would have that discussion one on one with my original partner and say, I think we have a problem where I'm not taking people to share the things I love because we have these weird reserved things and that's not working out for me. And I wouldn't need to have that conversation with the second partner at all until I'd resolved it with the first partner, probably. But in the case that my second partner just goes, Ooh, I want to take you to this great restaurant I know. It's called Taipei Express. And I'm like, I can't go. I'm not supposed to go there with <laughs> other people. Well, and the thing is interesting is usually in those cases, in my experience of those cases, when I was monogamous and such, that was more of a thing where it was like, you weren't supposed to suggest it. Not that you couldn't go, but like, it's bad form to take that person to your favorite yeah. spot, which is different than if they want to take you to the spot and they don't know any of the backstory. Yeah. So maybe that leads me, we haven't had that discussion. I'm not allowed to suggest going there, but this person wants to go there. And so now I have to think about what I want to do, because if I don't text my partner and I just go, then I've broken a rule that we agreed to mm-hmm. that I didn't even think was going to affect this person. So then if I do text them, though, where I'm in the middle of an automatic three-way conversation where I had to get everybody's opinion while I'm trying to make up my mind on what to do. So I think that it happens. I don't want to say like you're wrong if you have these conversations that include everyone's opinion because there's certain scenarios that are just unavoidable. But yeah, if it is definitely if it's between you and that other partner, if you're going for outside opinions, go for outside opinions that are not other partners if you can avoid it. Yeah, but I mean, I think if, if you're at the point where you're having to text your other partner and ask them if it's okay to you, that you go to Taipei Express, we've got a couple's privilege issue already. We do, but it's a different one than who you should talk to about multiple person problems. <laughs> 
That was a compounded couple's privilege issue. So yeah, that is also a couple's privilege issue. But you could imagine a couple's privilege issue that doesn't have to do with that. Like your babysitter time is expiring and you want to call your partner and see if they can handle the kids a little bit extra long. And I don't think that like you have to handle the kids. Somebody has to watch the kids. Mm-hmm. And that would still require you to discuss it with everybody because you could call your partner and they could say, no, I don't want to do that. And then your second partner would go, well, that's not fair. I don't want the date to end early. This is really important. We didn't know that we were going to have the opportunity to see this band I love, but we do. So I want to stay and see them. Right. And so you could you could be in that situation without it being already problematic couples privilege, which is different than couples privilege, because that's still couples privilege that you said that's that equity, though, that you were talking about. Yeah. So I think what Manny was talking about with couples privilege was she was almost exclusively looking at the equity, which is the unavoidable part of couples privilege. And there's actually a couple other unavoidable parts of couples privilege, I think. So where I'm at in any long-term relationships I have is problems with equity. I think that we Mm -hmm. have kind of struck down any other types of couples privilege that, that are possible. We do everything we can to keep that at bay, but we do still have that equity issue that you can't, like you said, it's unavoidable. One of the things and I think I've mentioned this before, maybe I haven't, it's one of the things that I often wrestle with how to encapsulate in a non-monogamous philosophy sense, but it's an unavoidable truth that as social beings, humans bond with other people they've been with for a long time, especially romantic partners, but any very close bonded partner will have this effect, romantic or otherwise, Mm -hmm. close friendship, close family, close partner, where in a lot of ways, if you were studying the people involved, for many types of study, it would be easier to consider them a compound organism than individuals. And the reason for that is that they actually trigger hardwired biological responses by simply being near each other. Oh, yeah. For example, there's people that if they walk in the door, you're going to immediately release endorphins and your mental state can change dramatically. There's people that basically become an entirely different person when someone else is in the room for good or for ill. Do you have friends that you just get stupid around? I have friends that I just get stupid around. I don't have any friends like that right now, but I definitely did have friends like that. I just don't... fell out of touch but what happens is you have a a dynamic that you built up yeah you like do this weird mesh when you walk in the door and you're like you you become this weird yeah and that's something that people don't like to talk about a lot in non-monogamy because we're all about the autonomy and we're all about how you don't complete me and i'll say i am a huge believer that you need to be complete to yourself to have a good relationship but i've also become a huge believer that when you're in a relationship long enough you do end up becoming part of a a meta organism Mm -hmm. at a certain point if that person leaves like if you break up forever it is very on par with getting your arm cut off it's how it feels it is what it is like it's how long it takes you to adapt to it to get over it you have to reinvent almost your entire life to make sense of things again well that relationship becomes kind of a growth on you yeah not that it's you know like something that was already there but it does kind of like you know that whole like it grows on you it yeah. li- like it, it it's it's like this metaphorical growth on your your personality mm-hmm. that relationship 
and it, it becomes its own its own entity. You hope that as an adult person, you grow into more and more space that, you know, we're always growing as we talk about. We're always learning, always becoming more. And part of that more is growing into this enmeshed relationship that only exists and is only supported by that other person, but that actually connects you at a biochemical level so that especially if you're both there at the same time, you're sort of a compound organism. So when you're a new person and you're faced with this enmeshed organism, that is a massive amount of couples privilege that you're dealing with. There's things like you can finish each other's sentences without actually having to hear them. They say three words. My parents do this thing like, you know, like rules about who can be on whose team in Pictionary in the family, right? Like my parents do this thing where my mom will be like, remember that guy I met at that party that time? And my dad will go, oh, yeah, Thomas. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, how? How was that? Right. How did that trigger That's anything cheating. for you? There was, yeah. there was no, there was no specific information in that. But it's, yeah. it's all that shared experience. The history. It's that equity. Yeah. I think of equity as being primarily based on, well, I mean, I guess equity is anything like that, but it's, I think it's a, a catch-all term for the different things that lead up to couples privilege. But one of them is definitely going to be this one, which is you start to think alike. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about the number one way to change someone's mind is to be a person that they care deeply about and then challenge them. So this person automatically has that power, right? So if, if you have a discussion with the partner that you're interested in and then... You go back to your other partner and go, oh, man, we had this discussion and we decided we're going to do this and it's a great idea and we're really excited about it. And your partner one goes, oh, that sounds wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah. You are immediately going to be challenged and really put back on your back foot and super willing to listen and see if you're right or wrong about anything. And that's a huge amount of privilege, right? And that's very intimidating as the new person. Mm-hmm. I've definitely had a couple of situations where the quality, intensity, and length of the relationship that I have with Lissa have put off partners that were otherwise interested. They were basically like, I'm interested, but I just feel like I will never be anywhere close to as important to you as she is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think what they mean is never. I think what they mean is it's going to be like five years. Well, like, or maybe the same amount of years you've been with Lissa. So, I mean, I think in a long enough timeline, at least it comes towards a limit. But it's an investment. Sure, sure. But when you talk to people who were like, well, this is my partner of 10 years and this is my partner of five years or this is my partner of 20 years and this is my partner of 15 years. Those aren't that much different at a certain point. And you know that from having friends, right? Yeah. Like when you have really close friends and I have one really close friend right now who I've had for like five or six years and I have another close friend that I've had for 15 years and I'd say they're they're pretty much on equal playing fields now. And I've said before that I don't think you really know if you love someone that you've been with for less than four years. So I think that there is sort of this time frame where if you've been with someone for five or more years, it's sort of, it's not exactly level, but that field gets really level. But also we know we discount future happiness and we're not really good at projecting ourselves past five years. And we know that mostly from studies about the problems with super draconic laws, which is that if a law has a punishment and it's between one and five years, every time you add a year to the punishment, people will do that crime less. But once you get past five years, no matter how many more years you add, it has no statistical effect on how likely people are to do the crime because they literally can't imagine anything worse than five years in prison. So they can't process the difference between the cost of five years, 10 years, 100 years, Those are all the same at that point. So I can totally see dating someone and going, I don't want to have to wait five years 
to feel like I'm as important as yeah. this other partner, especially if you're, you know, these people are people who are sort of monogamish, but open to the idea that I might have other partners as opposed to excited about the idea that I have other partners because they have other partners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can totally see how they're thinking. They're looking at it from a monogamous lens and going, all right, well, I'll be with this person and then they will also be with another person and I will not be able to reach the level of equity or couples privilege that they have for half a decade and that's far too long. daunting yeah it's daunting yeah right yeah and it's like anything else if you're at the beginning of a relationship where you haven't really gotten into the dating and it's just like they're fun and they're an exciting possibility and then something really terrible or scary or difficult or out of your comfort zone happens you go yeah but why there's other people out there i'm sure i'll find somebody that doesn't have that that is also as awesome but doesn't have that right i think the three parts of equity are basically biological enmeshment practical enmeshment and then experiential enmeshment and i know those also overlap a little bit like part of the biological enmeshment is the experiential enmeshment but it's like shared experience is a hugely bonding element Mm -hmm. it's the reason why celebrity gossip magazines are so popular they're the only magazines that are still making money anymore in the day of the internet because everybody can talk about how brad and angelina just got back together again wait not angelina jen brad and jen i saw in the newspaper at the store just got back together again and you have a touchstone so there's a shared experience that you get it's why you like taking giving people your favorite book this is my favorite book read my favorite book and now we have 20 hours of shared experience magically or if you just meet someone and you're like oh did you ever read and like yeah you're like yes right so the amount of time you spent with them you've gone on hundreds of dates thousands of dates tens of thousands of hours of family dinners and travel time and car trips and even if it's just stupid shit it's still memories you have it you have that inside joke you have those shared memories it's still history yeah and then the third one is like investments so like if you've got shared commitments right the commitment investment so if you've got kids that you're raising together if you have a big ticket item home together yeah a car if through marriage your student loans have been merged (laughs) yeah any of those kind of things that are like take a lifetime or half a lifetime or five or more years five or more years the limit of your imagination to pay off five or more that's a huge thing that that other person has to think about it's not you know if i'm upsetting the person who i share a home mortgage with Right. Or helps take care of my children or, yeah. That's a huge deal. Well, not just takes care of my kids, but are a pivotal part of my kid's life. Like my child rearing partner, my child, I I, I don't know how you separate this, but because I don't think it would normally be necessary to separate it. But in our culture where only for the most part, unless you've gone through a lot of legal rigmarole, the bio parents are the only ones with legal connections to the kids. Like last episode when we were like, be very careful. Mm Mm-hmm about having a secret affair in a legal because there are states where uh, adultery is a crime that you can go to jail or be fined for so be very careful about being in a monopoly dyad in a state where it's literally illegal there are states where being the person who sleeps with the person Uh who is married is a crime and can get you in trouble and there are states that still prosecute those crimes too so you can imagine just how scary that is it's not so simple i can't just be like oh well my partner that i'm married to and i have kids with doesn't want me to sleep with you and i think that i should have that right but i also don't want to be sued into non-existence for the next decade so i'm going to at least have to go deal with that before i can do something with you even if i think i have the right to do it with you ethically (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Even if it's not coming up, that's in your mind somewhere. Like your brain does risk it assessment. Be. It's like, yeah. It, yeah it, it's like, well, if I upset them too much, I could be really bad. Mm-hmm. And then you can have those with anyone. Like I've said before, like having a business partner, mm-hmm. you could have that kind of commitment equity. Having a best friend, you can have that kind of shared experience equity. You can have that kind of bio equity with them as well. And so this is in a lot of ways, the whole point of polyamory is the idea or non-monogamy generally, I think, but polyamory especially is the idea that all relationships are in the same playing field. They're in the same ballpark because they are equally important and they do all accrue these types of equity and that we shouldn't just have one relationship to the exclusion of everything else out there. Right. It's crazy when people say I don't have couples privilege or couples privilege isn't a meaningful factor in my life with my partner. How? How would that be possible? Right. And granted, the less time you've been together, the less you have. I don't know. It's not a perfect track. It's not like a one for one time to investment, time to equity. But as, yeah, I would say as a norm, yeah. Obviously, particularly important memories shared with someone else have more value than generic watching television together memories. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of memories have roughly equal value. So if I have 3,000 hours of memories with you and 100 hours of memories with someone else, the chances that that new 100 hours of memories is more shared ground was covered is low. (laughs) Yeah. Well, as we said, though, every relationship does have couples privilege because you also want to be concerned the other direction. So if you have a partner you've been with for 10 years and you have a relatively new partner and then you and your new partner are discussing the problems with your old partner, that's still couples privilege. It's just mm-hmm. it's going a little bit uphill, but couples privilege is still very real regardless because of the whole social animal thing. If two out of three people agree on an issue, the third person's going to really feel pressured to agree on that issue, whether they're interested in agreeing or not. Yeah, there's the privilege there. Yeah. So that's where I think most of the harms that we're concerned about from couples privilege come in is when intentionally or unintentionally you start having discussions where you use the weight of agreement to push someone towards things they wouldn't normally have agreed to if it was just you and them having that discussion. Right. Where you gang up on somebody. I guess not even necessarily in person though. Like just, oh, we've always done it this way or you don't think that's normal or oh yeah no you don't have to both be present for it to to gang up on somebody but yeah but you gang up on someone or you give the impression that you at least both agree or the the classic one we talked about many many times the problems with in interpersonal relationships employing utilitarianism well it would make me and my other partner happy if you would agree to less dates more dates right whatever it is and the person's like, well, if it makes everybody happy, I guess I should yeah. take care of our kids one night a week for us. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're trying to convince the person they ought to do. Presenting as some type of united front is the problem. When you hear the word present, I think people think of that again as being heavy with intent. But you don't have to intend to present as a united front. Mm-mm. Just having the same opinion or talking about how the other person feels about an issue without even intending it that way. Like literally just being like, well, I want you to hear their opinion because I think it's intelligent and has good points. And here's how I feel can still end up being a united front, even though you had no intent for it to ever be a united front. Do you think that you could look at it from a balance issue? 
that if there's ever two people on one side of something and one on the other, then you're flexing couples privilege. I really want to center the there's always couple privilege. No, I mean, flexing, like flexing couples privilege is what I mean. I, I understand what you mean. Yeah. But what I was going to say, though, is you still also have to be able to have opinions. So if there is a question like, hey, how do you feel about the idea if I move in with you and you and your partner both are not that interested in it, you still have to have the discussion and then you might be two of you on one side and one of you on the other. But I don't necessarily think that that's flexing couples privilege in that context. So the way that I would fight that is to just say, that's my opinion though, because it is your opinion, whether the opinion of your other partner is there or not, it's still your opinion. That's true. You wouldn't need to tell them that your partner had that opinion. Right. As long as you're bringing your view to the table and you're not including your partner, your other partner's view in that, then I feel like you're, you're not flexing couples privilege at that point. Like if, you know, I had a partner that came to me that we'd been dating a while and they said, hey, you know, what do you think about me moving in? If even if I went and talked to my nesting partner about it, mm-hmm. but when I'm talking to my nesting partner about it, that my opinion is that I'm not really great keen on the idea. It doesn't matter if they're keen on the idea or not. But I go back to the partner. All right. Well, what about in the situation where you were... I'm not going to say you were necessarily into it, but you weren't really sure. You were maybe a little into it, but not 100% sure. You had trepidation, but kind of. And then you go talk to your partner and your partner really is not excited about it. And that level of them being really not excited about it makes you reconsider the decision, look at the cost benefits and be much less excited about it. Then I would say to the other partner that I've looked at it from and factored in all these other things and I'm really not excited about it. But that's absolutely a couple's privilege issue. Like if your partner, your new partner was like, I would like to live with you. So I think either I should move in with you or you should move out with Jerry and move in with me. Mm -hmm. You're not going to do that second one because of all of the equity of living together and co-parenting that you've had for all of this time on top of time. And then Jerry doesn't like the idea of the person moving in for whatever reason for things that have nothing to do with you potentially and so you have to say well I don't think it's a good idea because my partner's not into it and it's their home too but I'm also literally never willing to leave their home that's a huge amount of couples privilege but I don't think it's flexing couples privilege because it is dealing with the reality of the material and live situation that you're in this is the thing is that I think when you say flexing what you're aiming at and maybe I'm wrong but I think you're aiming at basically what I would call leaning in the couple's privilege. Yes, yes. That's, yeah, I would, yeah. So I think that you can sort of lean into couple's privilege and you can work against couple's privilege to the best of your ability. But in both cases, it's going to inform everything that you do. Yeah. I have a really hard time imagining maintaining a positive view of somebody that Lissa doesn't like at this point after 13 years together and sharing everything together. It's really hard for me to imagine that. But also, Lissa is a hilariously sweet person to the point that she will defend literally everyone against me all the time for everything. Is there there anybody that Lissa doesn't like? I I have not run into the person that Lissa doesn't think is a good person. But if I did run into that person, it would be really hard for me. I mean, I don't know that I would avoid them at all costs, but it would be really hard for me. Like, if I thought I, I liked them and then Lissa's like... I'd be like, oh, what's... Right. I don't know, not that she was necessarily wrong, but that has... Lisa tends to do that at a certain threshold of 
relationships that I am in going poorly. Like I had a partner who had a lot of past trauma that did the thing where they would break up with you and then say they broke up with you because it was going well and they didn't trust things that were going well. You know, to feel safe again, they just broke up with you. But now how much is that like... Because that's just that's just caring about you not get, not getting hurt. Sure, but the point is that it changed how I would have engaged that scenario at a certain point. Yeah. Right, that at a certain point when she was like, well, are you sure you want to go back to them again because they've broken up with you twice and I just don't want to see you constantly on this emotional roller coaster getting hurt and I don't think that they're, you know, a good partner or whatever. And it wasn't like I was trying to talk to them about it. No, you know, it was just more like, oh, well, I think I'm going to go see, you know, this person. And they're like, again? I thought you broke up again. And they're like, oh, well, maybe we're right. not going to be broken up. maybe you should be and you know it's it's hard it's really hard to to think the same way about it once that happens but do you feel like that was lissa flexing couples privilege or lissa being a friend again this is the problem the effect of it was amplified by couples privilege no matter what she was trying to do and not trying to do okay I think that it is what I would have told a friend of mine, like if I was a third party, non-connected observer, and you get broken up with and broken up with, and I'd like, dude, like, every time they break up with you, you get depressed and upset, and you go through this like roller emotional roller coaster, and then they claim that it's just because they don't trust being happy. Well, what are you going to do? Be worse to them? Like every time you right. get together, you're going to make them happy, and then they're going to break up with you, and then you're going to be depressed, and then it's going to be a circle <laughs> right. again. Why? So the intent's not there, and that doesn't have to be present to have that couple's privilege. Right, and that's the thing. Is it's it's just so unbelievably powerful and so unbelievably unavoidable that this is the problem that you know we'll see again in unicorn hunting, where if you when you attach anything else to couple's privilege, it gets really rough. Yeah, oh, it gets ugly, super ugly. Yeah, and if you lean into it almost at all, it's just so easy. Because even if you're trying your best to lean out, you're still just completely overwhelmed with it. And this is the problem with privileges yeah. generally. Like when people talk about, I'm giving up my white privilege. Yeah, I think you can't give up your white privilege. I just don't think you can. Right. So you're still a couple. Doesn't matter what you do. And so this is when all of that double checking, non-coercive stuff from the consent episode is so important because then you go, okay, you know, we talked and they're concerned that they are not sure if they'd want to have you living with us. And if we're going to ever do this, I want everybody to be on board. And I understand that this is just a massive amount of couples privilege that you're getting clobbered in the head with right now. And I'm super sorry for that. But I also don't know how for it not to be that. because this partner and I agreed to raise kids together and we have the kids still. They're still in the home. It's a huge part of our obligation. The largest part of my moral obligation in a day is to take good care of my kids and disrupting the stable home environment that cares for them is just not really an an ethical option for me, given that I am happy in the relationship. So that's a huge caveat, right? We, We said this in the last episode. If you are miserable in your relationship, the environment is disrupted. It is already disrupted. The divorce isn't what's disrupting the misery is what's disrupting it. But assuming it is a happy, stable home environment that you're really happy to be in that is non, you know. And of course, that's a long conversation because I think there's going to be resentment if the only reason this person you want to live with can't live with you is your other partner doesn't like the idea. Then you're going to slowly start getting into to long-term mm-hmm. resentment issues. Yeah. So it should be an ongoing conversation for sure. But I think acknowledging the, the couple's privilege there and or in any equivalent situation and saying, so I really want you to say what you think and I will do my best to hear you and give the extra weight to your perspective that I need to give to it because I know that this other side is weighted. Mm-hmm. In most cases of 
privilege. I think it's a pretty good way to think about things that you should just assume that the privilege side just has like a 15% margin of weight. Yeah. It's not a perfect number by any means, but in a lot of cases where we can test privilege, it's about 15 or 20% margin. And your goal is to make that seesaw as level as possible. Right. The goal is to balance so, that back out as much as you can. Yeah. And that's the thing about humans too, though, is it's sort of an all or nothing weight too. Even if you've only been with one partner a year or six months or something, and then you get a new partner that you're dating, until that new relationship gets established as a relationship, even though the other relationship doesn't have what you'd call a lot of equity, it probably is still leveraging the full 15% bias yeah. in contests with the new relationship. Because it's established. Yeah. So the only reason that level of equity matters is there's like three or four relationships and you're trying to decide which one's exerting the most couples privilege or something. <laughs> but I did a hand gesture where I put my hand at a bunch of different levels that is totally useless in a podcast. <laughs> But Mandy thought it was funny. We make a lot of hand gestures that you all don't see that we think are funny. <laughs> You'll have to join a live chat with us to see them. Yeah, gesticulation is an amazing part of communication. So so ways to avoid this. There's no way to avoid, well, any privilege, but there's no way to avoid couples privilege. You can only do your best to account for it and know that you're still not going to successfully account for it. You have to recognize it. Just yeah. like with any other privilege, you have to recognize it and account for it. Like you said, once you recognize recognize it that's a huge step that's a huge step mm -hmm. after you listen to this podcast go to your partners and recognize your couple's privilege and that will be just huge steps in your relationship right there then do everything you can to lean out of it it's still going to exist in every situation but do everything you can to account for it and lean out of it. Lean out of it and then also make up for it. Sort of how the concept of other privileges often includes donating to causes that are going to undermine the privilege dynamic, etc. Or donating to people who are in the impressed demographic. I think that that's something that you can bring to the table as well, which is sort of like, what can we give to the new relationship? What's available to us to give to the new relationship that will help make up to some extent for the couple's privilege? situation that we have going on. Does that include creating ways to create equity in the new relationship or in the relationship that maybe doesn't have as much privilege? The nature of a relationship is to increase equity. An ongoing relationship is accruing equity as it goes if it's not getting damaged, right? Like if the relationship has an issue, like you lie to them and you lose equity or something, that's sort of a, a misstep. But in general, that's already happening. But I was thinking of something more like, and this is part of not understanding or not necessarily leaning into couples privilege, but when we see a lot of people who are couples talking about what having other people date looks like, there's a lot of you shouldn't be gone more than two nights a week and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And the couples are pretty much trying to reserve as much for themselves as they can in that context. And it should be the opposite, really. It should be that you're trying to give as much freedom to the new person to get their needs met as you can because they are the people who are fighting this established dynamic. And this is where the two biggest things that I can think of to do before or at the beginning of getting into a new relationship, preferably before, is one, and this is, I forget where I saw this originally, it was not my idea, but it's great advice, is to, when preparing to look for new relationships or looking for a new, another relationship, create the space that you want to give to another relationship before you start that relationship and use it for yourself for stuff. So like use it for your hobbies or days out by yourself or going out with your friends or whatever. 
because then when you take that time from yourself, it won't feel like as much of a loss to your partner. Mm, that's a great idea, yeah. As it does when you don't do that. Because like Mandy's talked about, I think they have something in their relationship called default time. Mm-hmm. And people start getting into a habit of just expecting that default time. And if that default time is expected, it's not default time anymore. It's their time. Right. You might think it's default time. You might have agreed it's default time. They might intellectually understand it's <laughs> default time. But when suddenly they don't have nearly as much default time, they're going to feel neglected. You realize you had claimed that. Yeah. And of course, they're not going to say that you are using your default time to do what you want to do with it, because then it would be sort of owning up to the fact that this is their issue of not keeping that agreement. But I also think it's unrealistic to expect people to keep that agreement. We humans get used to what we get to what we have usually. Yeah. It's a lot easier to do it gradually. And it's a lot, e- a lot less upsetting people if you go... I'm going to start using default time to practice my guitar. I'm going to learn to play guitar. So instead of hanging out in the television room, I'm going to be in my studio with the door closed playing guitar. And then once you've worked up to two nights a week of playing guitar all the time, then when you start dating... They're not going to miss you. And you date maybe once every other week, (laughs) it's fine. And if you get up to two nights a week, still fine. Right. No time change. You have carved out that space already so that you've eroded the couple's privilege issue because part of the couple's privilege issue is anytime the new relationship pushes into an existing dynamic it's going to meet resistance yeah so as much as possible you want to clear the space that the relationship is going to take out of the existing relationships that you have one or more so that it is not fighting that resistance and if you find you can't clear that space that might just tell you you're polysaturated yeah which is valid Completely valid. If you've got two or three partners and you try and clear out a day or two so you can go on a new date with someone that you're interested in and you can't find it, I think you should address that before you start dating (laughs) other people. (laughs) Either by figuring out a way to find that space or going... No, doesn't exist. I'm just, I'm yeah. too. I'm as finite. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a great idea, though. I've not heard that. And that is a really great idea. Yeah, I wish I could remember who it was because I would literally like to cite them. So if you're listening and you know where that's from. Or you from, know it was you. <laughs> please let us know. Please write us and we will add a citation to the description. And then we'll also say it at the beginning of an episode somewhere so people will hear. We're really not trying to steal your ideas. That's just a brilliant idea that people should definitely do. So that's the one thing I would say is to create the space for the new relationship before you have it so that it's not fighting as much as possible the relationship that you already have. And then the second thing, of course, as we talked about this before, is relationship agreements, needs, wants, and boundaries cannot be put on people who don't exist yet. So if you have a boundary like you can't take another partner to a restaurant, that's not okay. Yeah. Or at minimum, it means that literally whenever you meet a new person, you have to be like, hey, if you date me, I can't take you to reserved places that my partner and I have, but you can also reserve some places with me that they can't, I can't take them to. Is that cool? Really early on, date two. And if they're like, oh, that's great. Well, cool. Then they bought into the whole thing. That's fine. But still sketch your choice, I think. Be prepared for your partner to go, that's bullshit. That's my favorite restaurant. And (laughs) that's ridiculous. I'm not going to not go to those restaurants or be like, can you list the restaurants I'm not allowed to go to? And then go, "Mm, yes. And then let's think about that as we're saying it out loud and how dumb it sounds. Yeah. But having those laid out so that when 
you're going out with somebody else and they say, hey, can we do X? You carve out more space that way. Mm -hmm. So if you don't lay out your boundaries, needs, and wants, I really just don't know what's going to upset you. Right. My concern is that anything might upset you. So everything is a thing where I kind of want to talk to you about it. I want to make sure it's working out. I want to know very clearly what my space is. And I think that's what motivates people to make dating rules where they're like, well, here's how dating should look for you. But then then you're exercising huge amounts of couple privilege and controlling how the new dates are going to be able to go without them even knowing that you're doing that because you've set up this this template for how dating is supposed to go, what the levels are supposed to look like, how you move up in the levels, how you get approval for moving up in the levels, if that's a thing that you're doing. So let me ask you, so do you feel like the meta really has the most control over whether couples privileges flexed or not? Because you said something, you said something along the lines of you should be encouraging that time. You should be try. you should be telling your partner to set aside that amount like that, that time for their new partner and you you should be encouraging that so do we feel like the other partner that shares the privilege with the main person that we're talking about that person is the one that really has control of the pedals like the the p-e-d-a-l-s in the couple's privilege i think that's a sort of a a yes and a no right because the the yes is obviously if the meta refuses to go in on anything, it's going to be really hard for there to be a lot of couples privilege. Hey, I was thinking about my partner moving in with me. What do you think? That's your decision. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your space. <laughs> it's really hard to to have the couple's privilege come up, you know? Hey, do you mind if I go on another date this week? Um, it's your time. You decide. Well, I mean, not to be flippant about it, but to to include and encourage Right. So that's, I wanted to encourage metas to try and work on rather than holding space for themselves, looking at their actual needs, making sure your needs are getting met and not holding symptoms of needs, mm-hmm. not holding a wider field of what appear to be needs or boundaries because they're actually symptoms of actual needs and boundaries but doing the self-work to go okay these are my actual needs are you willing to meet these and if your partner says yes then being very flexible about what else they're doing as long as they're meeting the needs that you've agreed to to get met which will then in turn reduce the amount of rules put on imaginary partner that doesn't exist yet or new partner or what have you and yourselves Mm -hmm. and therefore also partners because rules on your yourselves are actually rules on partners that don't exist yet. (laughs) That's a huge deal. And I think when you're dating someone, the final weight of the outcome rests on the person you're dating. I think that it's great that we acknowledge that a lot of acknowledging and leaning out of that couple's privilege falls on the meta, falls on the other side of that couple in this because I feel like a lot of our time, a lot of times we're, we're speaking to the hinge in the relationship or, you know, we're speaking to the part yeah. the, the main people in the relationship when I think this should be, it is geared a lot towards the meta in that, that couple that has the privilege. They have that equity. Yeah. The other person, the hinge, as you said, is obviously interested in both relationships. So the hinge is not usually trying to dump couple's privilege right. onto the new partner. The hinge is trying to make both relationships remain happy. Make everybody happy. <laughs> so if the person on one side of the, about the seesaw, the hinge is the pivot point, basically. Mm-hmm. And if one side of the seesaw is heavier and weighs more because it's further on the fulcrum, and then they just keep leaning into that, they're going to 
throw the other person off the seesaw. Right. Now, as the hinge person, it is also your job to try and notice that that's happening and to push back against it as much as you can. But I do think there's a limit to how much you can push back on that without eventually ending the relationship. You got to make sure everybody's toes can still touch the ground. And <laughs> I think that when the toes aren't touching the ground, that's when you have an issue and you really need to assess what's going on and make some changes. Whether it be leaning further out of the couple's privilege or we're making changes in the dynamics of your relationships. So another really important thing that this is one of those ones where how do we go this long in an episode and not say it yet, but listening and believing and not getting defensive when someone accuses you of couples privilege. Oh, hands in the air. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I can't be. You're right. <laughs> Can we clip that and put it at the beginning? Because I'm kind of ashamed that that was the, <laughs> that we're so far in and we just said that. <laughs> and that's true both in the relationship and for people outside of the relationship because god every time somebody points out couples privilege no matter how incredibly valid it is the people being pointed out lose their minds and go it's absolutely not we would never do that nothing like that exists it's not what we're doing instead of going explain more about how you think that this is couples privilege and how it's happening and what we can do about it if we wanted to do something about it because you don't like, I don't know why people act like asking for advice means you have to take it. Right. Like, if you ask someone to explain how it's couple's privilege and what you would do about it if it were, and then what they explain is just ridiculous, you can be like, well, thank you. And you can still spend that time considering and double checking. And this is something we've said often, which is anytime anyone accuses you of any kind of harm, you should do a double check. I don't think I've ever not done a double check when I've been accused of doing harms. Even when people post like a comment on the internet that seems to indicate that I did something wrong, I always stop and go, well, now I'm going to go double check my research on it. Because why not? Within reason, obviously. Right. But if I'm in a day-to-day -day scenario and someone I know, either personally or if I'm in like a forum where the whole point of the forum is to have discourse about mm -hmm. the type of relationship you're talking about, if it's really trash, the rest of the forum will call that person on it. So if one guy jumps you and says, it's, you know, it's a couple's privilege and you're bad and you're wrong, and then like 10 people are like, eh, I don't think that's the case. Okay, right. probably fine. But if the whole forum says this is couple's privilege or three or four people on the forum or the people who are willing to speak on the forum say that and then they're getting like likes and loves and hearts and the shit on calling on couple's privilege, maybe just examine if it might be couple's privilege instead of just screaming that it definitely is not couple's privilege because... I was like, guess what it most likely is. <laughs> yeah, we're all drowning in couple's privilege all of the time. Uh, chances are it's couples privilege again maybe you're doing your best to manage it yeah so then the other part of that is listen so if the person that you're dating says i feel like you guys are using couples privilege i feel like you're ganging up on me i feel like it's difficult for me to say what i really want without upsetting my meta mm -hmm. those kind of key phrases take that very seriously and try and examine what you could do to lower that and say okay i hear you that sounds like there might be a couples privilege issue let's talk about what we could do to meet everybody's needs yeah Listen, definitely listen, because it most likely is. You're most likely right. For sure. In summary, if a couple exists, there is couples <laughs> privilege, period. Yep. A lot of times, the more equity that's in the couple, the more privilege. Three types of equity that we noted. One is biological enmeshment, which is just the way the two social organisms grow together, or how humans grow together. There is shared responsibilities or commitments, and there's simply shared experiences. The amount of experiences and like the, how much they think alike, how many conversations they've already agreed upon, ironed out their perspectives on, etc. Right. 
And then if someone calls attention to what they believe is couples privilege, listen, shut up and listen, because most likely it is couples privilege. You're most likely you're flexing couples privilege and you need to find a way to lean out of it and make your seesaw more balanced. With most privilege biases, the way that privilege works, the reason it continues to work is because you can't see it. If you could see it, we wouldn't have all these different dynamics of privilege. It's an evolutionary feature that was helpful because all humans everywhere, and this is one of the very few cross-cultural values, hate hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is something we'll generally get mad about. So we don't like when we're not what we say we are. We don't like when other people say, don't eat cookies as they're eating cookies. We're like, what? We hate you. <laughs> so we developed the ability to hide from ourselves a small margin of benefit to ourselves without feeling like hypocrites because evolutionarily that's valuable. If I can steal an extra 10 or 15% for myself over a lifetime, I'm going to do a lot better than if I can't. So it's very helpful, but it's not very ethical. <laughs> right. And it's absolutely something that happens in all types of privilege. And it's why privilege is invisible. It's why nobody seems to notice they have privilege and why we need this entire system of philosophical concepts to help aim you at what privilege looks like. So the reason you need to listen when someone says it's privilege is because you probably can't see it. You'll only be able to see it if it's beyond that 15%. So when we talk about leaning into your privilege, that's when you're actually intentionally going beyond that. Yeah. Like you are consciously pushing your privilege to get something. So you're getting more than the 15% bonus at that point because you're doing it on purpose. You're leaning into it to create environments that get you what you want and you're actually able to see it. But most privilege you can't see, which is what makes it so problematic. Mm -hmm. You think you're doing everything right. You think you're being totally fair. You're making good decisions to the best of your knowledge. You're discussing the important things that are happening in your life with your life partners. And then after you've discussed it with everybody, the decision that you come up with just happens to consistently favor one partner that you've been with for a long time right and you don't really notice it even if you notice it you think well that's why i've been with them for a long time it's just they're right about a lot of things or we agree on a lot of things and you don't see how it's not just that that you actually grew to be more similar over time your brain patterns even grow to be more similar all you're doing there is is getting comfortable in your privilege (laughs) yeah (laughs) right right you're just you're pulling that privilege blanket around you and getting comfy by evolutionary function you're not going to be able to see at least the first 15 percent or so margin of privilege and that's where most of the problem happens because if every single time something that could use couples privilege comes up one partner loses 15 percent they're going to be the a real big loser over a few years mm-hmm. and ways that we can lean out of that couples privilege and make that seesaw more balanced is to account for that 15% with your other partner. As a meta, make sure that you are holding space for your partner's other partners. And you're making sure that you're not imposing any type of rules on your partner or your partner's partners. And that's your privilege flex right there. And there are some things that are going to look like imposing rules on others that we've talked before, I think, especially in the boundaries episode about how you can sort of flip the script so that it's a boundary, not a rule. Mm -hmm. So for sure, if you have sexual safety boundaries, or right now, a lot of people have pandemic boundaries, like I'm not going to see you if you're going on lots of dates with people that aren't double masked, that aren't socially distanced. So in a sense, you have a rule that's like, if you kiss a new partner, that's not okay, because you're trying to protect your health and your family and the older members of your family that you might be in a situation where you have to engage with, then what you need to do is you need to phrase it like a boundary, which is for my health and safety or my health and family safety, 
I can't be not socially distanced with people who are not being socially distanced. Right. And I'm not going to be angry at you necessarily, or I'm not going to attack you for making these choices, but I am then going to require you to be socially distanced from me. And there are going to be situations, like we said before, like with the nesting partner, where there's no way to get around the couple's privilege. It's just there and you can't avoid it. This person's living with me. They can't go out and be not socially distanced with people that they've just met that are new, that are not part of our bubble. And we can't have an infinitely large bubble because an infinitely large bubble doesn't work as a bubble. So if we have 50 people in our bubble, it's not a bubble anymore. It's a battleship. No, yeah. (laughs) Making boundaries for your personal needs, not your personal wants, but your personal needs is completely valid, even if it does look like couples privilege. Like making those boundaries for your personal needs, your partner gets to decide. If your boundaries are unreasonable and unlivable, then what they have to do is slowly extricate themselves entirely from the relationship. Yeah. Rather than violating them. Imposing it. With new partners. So that's on them to work out with you to make that space for healthy new relationships. Right. I just wanted to throw that out there because I sometimes, you know, when we're focused on one half of something, we forget the other half. And then it sounds like we're telling people like, let everyone run rickshaw all over your boundaries and needs. Don't don't do that. Yeah, no, no, no. Don't sacrifice. So much of our advice comes down to if you need different things, breaking (laughs) up is okay. It's so much of our advice. It's like, because when you forget that breaking up is okay, so much stuff sounds like ultimatums. You are not allowed to go out and sleep with people unprotected and then sleep with me. Sounds like an ultimatum if you think I can't break up with you and you're going to be the person living in my house next to me when I get home at night. Yeah. So, you know, if your relationships turn out to have different values, then it's okay to let ones that are not working for you go if you can't work through it or if you don't want to work through it. I think there's a lot of value to keeping relationships that you want to keep and can keep. So I'm not saying just throw away all your relationships the moment the person doesn't do exactly what you want. But keep relationships that are healthy and they're positive and they Mm -hmm. make you happy. Yeah. And everyone in the relationship ought to want to be as ethical and as helpful with everyone else in the relationship as they can. If the goal is to get everyone's need met, people shouldn't be hostile about that. If one of your partners is like, I don't want to meet everyone's goals, that's a huge red flag. Like, why do they not want to meet everyone's needs? So I think that 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 pretty much sums everything up. And of course, as always, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to email us, message us, comment, and please like, subscribe, follow, and share if you feel comfortable. Donate. (laughs) All right. We will see you all next week. I'm not sure which topic, but in the next couple of weeks, we are going to cover closed relationships, and then we're going to cover unicorn hunting. We have a couple other topics we're going to mix in there. We promise they're coming, though. We promise they're coming. It may not be next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Why did I wave? (laughs) Bye. Why did I wave? (laughs) 